there's a gravitational pull when you have a bookmaker that says, yeah, we'll offer decent limits, high limits on these betting markets. But once you get here, we're not going to limit you if you string together some wins. Uh, here's another thing. We'll pay out as fast as we possibly can. You never really hear that. We hear horror stories about people once they put up a win or two at some of these sports books. They can't even get the money out. Like that's unheard of. I can't imagine that. Hey, this is Jesse here with episode 85 of the Betting Startups podcast. And I'm not going to lie, this one is easily a top five episode so far. In it, we have an extended chat with Joe Brennan and Adam Bjorn from Prime Sports, which is bringing an old school bookmaking approach to the US market. We cover a ton of ground in this one, including why they see Prime Sports as a hospitality business more than they see it as a technology or entertainment business, why they see the current market leaders being akin to the McDonald's and Burger King of sports betting, and why they're confident that they can bring offshore betting back into the regulated market. This was an awesome episode, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. But before we get started, I wanted to make sure you're subscribed to the Betting Startups newsletter, which is the easiest way to keep up with the betting industry's early stage companies. It's a free weekly publication that gives you all the headlines around new fundings, partnerships, and product launches. It also includes the extremely popular Deal Corner, where we share investment opportunities in industry startups that are looking to change the game. Take 10 seconds and subscribe now at news.bettingstartups.com. All right, we're back with episode 85 of the Betting Startups podcast, which is an episode I've been excited about for a long time, partly due to the fact that I've known one of our guests for, I don't know, 10 plus years now, Joe. And it's one of those things where 10 years ago, I probably could have never predicted that here in 2023, I'd be the host of a fledgling podcast and talking to him about his newest venture in the space. Yet here we are. It's also another first to this episode, which is the first time we're doing a crossover with our guests and publishing it on their podcast feed. Or in this case, I guess they're soon to be launching podcast feed. So Special shout out and welcome to listeners of the Prime Suspects podcast, which we'll talk about a little further along here. But first things first, I'm excited to welcome two of the main faces and names behind the newest online sports book in Ohio, which is Prime Sports. Talking about Joe Brennan Jr. and Adam Bjorn. Guys, welcome to the Betting Startups podcast. How are we doing today? Good, thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah, doing great. Thanks, Jesse. So it's uh, we're just wrapping up week four of the NFL season. I think, what's that been, about two weeks now since Prime Sports launched. So just a quick temperature check before we get into the, the meat and potatoes here today. How are we doing here uh, a couple of weeks into being live in Ohio? Still afloat. I mean, I think the volume and the signups and the conversions have been actually pretty good to begin with. I mean, all the numbers are public, so they'll see that September was a losing month for the first two weeks in. I think we're picking up players that we expected to pick up and it's just a matter of growing into that. I mean, there is some small players as well. There's some rec players. So we're inviting rec players as well. It's an all welcoming brand. And I think, again, we wanted to go really slow and walk through the kinks and get things sorted out, but I'm definitely not disappointed with the way it started. Yeah, Adam's point, we're very definitely still in soft launch mode. We're still, for instance, adding payment processing methods and fine-tuning a couple of things. We've already, though, already found some real major tweaks that we've had to make just to be able to serve this target audience that we see as the real big opportunity, which is converting players who are still playing offshore or on the street because they don't particularly like the existing product from the recreational sports books at FanDuel DraftKings. But... I, the one thing that is amazing is I'm actually surprised at the amount of handle that we've already taken and deposits we've already taken because 
when I say soft launch, comparing it to the restaurant, like it, we, short of locking the front door to the restaurant, we we've done everything else, and we still have taken a decent amount of handle from some very motivated players. Let's come back to that in a second here, guys, because I think being live for two weeks here, there was a lot of buildup to this. I mean, as I said at the beginning here, I mean, 10 plus years worth of buildup if you really want to backtrack it. But for folks listening that may not be familiar with either of you, I'd like to start with just a quick introduction. And Adam, maybe we can start with you. If you could tell people listening just a little bit about yourself, your background and your time in this industry, and, and obviously sort of what you're bringing to the team and the operation of Prime Sports. Yeah, I mean, I've been a gambler for 30 years. You know, as I look back, betting horse races from early teens, even pre-teens, and then managed to straight out of high school, end up into a sports betting shop in Australia, which, you know, I've had it legal for quite a while in some states, and then sort of found my way over this side of the world into Jamaica, where I spent 20 plus years there. And then sort of this opportunity was more of, I know how to bet, I know how to bookmake, and now I sort of building the tech in the middle, which I think a lot of people have struggled with because generally the programmers and that aren't gamblers uh, and have tried to sort of build something in the middle that reduces frictions on players and gives the risk management team everything that they need. And on top of that processing, customer profiling, all those kind of things. So yeah, I mean, I've literally been living this for 30 years. It's as I started to say, it's not what I do, it's who I am. Awesome. And then Joe, you have uh, quite a backstory of your own in this business. And, you know, I'd love to just pull on that thread a little bit here and, and talk a bit about some of your time, um, particularly as well, some of the work you did pre-PASPA to ultimately help the PASPA repeal happen. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned at the outset as well, you and I have known each other for, I guess, I don't know, 10 years now. And uh, I've seen you sort of iterate your way through various projects in this space. And this, to me, seems like a bit of a culmination of a lot of that effort. So Again, can you just share a little bit with folks listening that might not be familiar with your background, some of the major stops along the way for you? Yeah, I first intersected with the industry in a serious way, starting in November of 2008, when I was part of the group that parachuted its way into New Jersey, looking to work with the state and lawmakers to legalize sports betting in New Jersey, and then use that as a platform to press for the pushing on a federal lawsuit to challenge the sports betting ban by the federal government. At the time I remember telling my wife, yeah, it's probably going to take about three years. So 10 years later was when we were in the Supreme Court, eventually seeing the law overturned. During that time also, I worked and helped start up a daily fantasy sports company when that was all the rage. But really all of that was meant to be a springboard into sports betting, which obviously I made a big bet on my career was eventually going to be legalized here in the United States. And then after 2018, it was more of a looking at the, there was a lot of opportunities either to jump into existing betting companies or do other things. And none of it really interested me. And that's largely because looking at the market there, just in my estimation was we were legalizing it based on what we saw from the existing offshore and street industries and trying to convert that to a legal market. But you had these companies that immediately jumped in after the ruling and they were more of the British style, a slick consumer brand, go after recreational betters. It seemed like they were bringing more new betters into the marketplace rather than attracting the ones that were already there that we had lobbied lawmakers based on that activity, that market, and nobody was addressing that market. So 
eventually the opportunity came to do this one. And obviously from the get-go, I've just been 100% thrilled. It seemed like, even though it seemed like it took forever, once we started the project to actually get live, I think we're arriving in the marketplace just in time. Yeah, I want to just drill into there for a second as well. Like, as you said, 2018 rolls around, PASPA gets repealed. You're sort of sitting there kind of watching the the early days of the regulated market unfold and maybe sort of not seeing the, the type of bookmaking come to market that you, you guys are now doing. So I guess just to talk about the origins of Prime Sports, like what was it? At what moment did you realize, hey, if nobody else is going to do it, it's got to be me, it's got to be us. And I guess, how did you sort of think about going from zero to one and, and sort of filling that gap to ultimately what would become prime sports and obviously being now live in market in Ohio, like just fill in the gaps there at the origins of it all, if you would. From my perspective with out the gate, which is the parent company of prime sports, it was about two and a half years ago, was having conversations with various people in the industry about a lot of these startups that had since legalization happened. You know, yeah, obviously you had FanDuel and DraftKings, they raced to the front of the crowd. Uh, some of the other companies that people were, I remember at the time expecting, like everybody thought, Oh, it's going to be William Hill and everybody else. William Hill just got buried. But it was, you know, this big sprint. There was a lot of people who were getting into this industry who were just, they were brand new. They didn't really know anything. It was, hey, we're a bunch of smart kids from elite schools with a lot of venture capital. Step aside, guys. We, we're going to revolutionize this industry. And there just didn't seem to be a lot of actual bookmaking expertise, sports betting expertise entering the marketplace. And eventually kind of came upon this project and it was a real opportunity to reach deep into the network and start reaching out to people who I've known over the years and also that I've really respected. And obviously if you're in sports betting, particularly in North America, the, the brand that you have to look to because they're where the line originates is Beck Chris and Adam's company, Planetech have been supplying Chris with their platform and a lot of their risk services for a few years then. And I had met Adam years ago. I remember at a meeting at Sport Radar, I think we both had the same attitude. We both wanted to get out of that meeting. But that was the first time I met Adam. And when I found out that he was running Planetech and he was driving that, I kind of felt like, well, geez, that's an opportunity. Nobody else is jumping on top of that. We got to jump on top of that right away because that could become a real advantage for us to be able to offer this kind of product in the U.S. Well, let's segue nicely then to talk about the product itself. Again, for anybody listening that might not yet be familiar with Prime Sports and sort of the unique angle you're taking in the market, can you give just a high concept overview about what it is you guys are up to and ultimately how you're differentiating Prime Sports brand and product from uh, a lot of the incumbents that we currently see in the U.S. market? Well, I think it's pretty simple. It's just taking bets from everyone and anyone. You know, I had uh, a brand that I'd acquired some years ago. And as this process was going, a lot of my conversations were about how do you bring the offshore home? Very familiar first, because again, my history in the offshore business, for me, it wasn't offshore. It was just other bookmakers, other things, you know, where they took bets from all over the world. So they were just global bookmakers. And I bet with pretty much all of them myself. So as sort of seeing Pasper roll out and it was like, thought process of, well, everybody's going to race up. They've got to, you know, what's going to happen to businesses that exist and are living off that market. And it was really just, how do you just take that in now to run operations offshore versus on the cost is a lot higher. Market access has been insane where it started at or now where it's kind of coming down. Uh, and strategically there was these couple of states picked for 
many reasons. But again, it's just ultimately put up a number, invite everybody in, process the money in and out as quickly as possible, and then take a bet. And then communicate with the customers. See where the shortfalls are. See what they're looking for that you don't have. We're going to get there. Oh, you don't have cash outs. You don't have same game parlays. You don't have this. You don't have that. Fully expected. Expect those conversations. It's not that we're not going to do it. It's just that there's a big enough market, in our opinion, that isn't getting serviced, that most of these places don't have same game parlays, don't have cash outs, that people are drawn to already. So again, it's step by step, brick by brick, oh, again, communicating with the customers. And I think that's sort of the biggest thing that we've seen the first few weeks is the communication back and forth with customers. Yeah, we've had some problems with deposits, withdrawals, some bets and things like that, errors, rejected bets, but the whole process is a conversation with the customer and explaining to them, yeah, there's going to be problems. The more I'm getting into the tech world, the more difficult I see that it is. The more that I get into conversations, I understand that sports betting software, PAMs and all that are actually one of the harder technology items to actually build and create. And we've got it from top to bottom. We process the money. We have the PAM, we have the bet acceptances, we have the models, in-house models, we have the hosting, we do the UI. It's a full stack of everything. Whereas a lot of others are out there have to pitch patch, you know, different things together. And, and I've heard the horror stories and the struggles that brings. So again, for me, the goal was full stack, take the bookmaking risk management knowledge and skills that the team has. Majority of us in this operation are gamblers, so we've all been customers to majority of these other operators at some point in another. But again, it's the customer. It's the customer service. We're in a hospitality business, and it's just about put the stuff up and start the communication. Yeah, following something Adam was saying about it being a hospitality business. I mean, this is a service business. One of the things you hear the bigger companies, DraftKings, FanDuel's talk about is that they want to talk about themselves like they're technology businesses. And that's great because that's what the investment market, that's, that's what Wall Street, City of London, that's what they're looking for. Everybody wants to bet, invest in technology. So great. But bookmaking is a service industry. And you can see their attitude reflected in their product. There's a lack of intimacy, if you will. They can feel the distance. It's, just, it's very slickly produced mass market stuff. It's about as personable as McDonald's is, right? Including selling you an SGP, like it's a happy meal for betting. And we wanted to go a different route, in part because we had to. We were gonna go out and raise half a billion dollars in other people's money in order to grow this brand, in order to grow this company. So we had to leverage the stuff that what we actually had, the assets we had. And one of the assets is Adam. Adam, if, if there's anybody in the world who knows the uh, industry on both sides of the counter better than Adam, I'd like to meet him because maybe I'd hire him and they'd be less of a pain in the ass than Adam is. But uh, no, it, it, it's amazing when we've talked to people about this ahead of time. I'm like, well, why do you think that you could be successful? Why do you think that you can draw players? And it's this, we did this really crazy thing ahead of launching, and that is we went and we talked to players. And we said, okay, well, 
What is it that you're looking for? Like, okay, you had this fast starting, very well-funded, in-your-face legal sports betting industry here in the U.S. What's missing? Why, especially the folks who continue to play offshore, play on the street, like what's missing? And for the most part, they were very forward in saying like, well, I can't bet there or I get treated like a number or I can't bet in the volume that I want to. Or, And so they basically created a roadmap for us to be able to, like, if we follow this, we have an opportunity to be as successful because we'll be addressing all the pain points by this. But not like that's revolutionary. It's amazing how much that roadmap is exactly the model that bookmakers used in this country. I'm going to imagine other countries for over a hundred years since Charles McNeil invented the point spread. And it's like Adam said, you take a bet, you service people, you roll on, you pay them when they win, right? You try and keep them happy. And it's no more complicated than you're not sitting there trying to think about how do you soak more margin out of them with gimmicks and bells and whistles is how do you sell bets? And I think we're pretty well positioned to do that. And this is a bit of a leading question, probably a loaded one too. But I guess, I mean, just as you've seen the first five and a bit years of, of the market play out post past the repeal, I mean, what is your sentiment on on just the status quo out there right now? And I mean, you guys have touched upon you know, uh, I think of this collective sense, and certainly if anybody spends any time on gambling Twitter, we tend to to gauge a sentiment fairly quickly, which is this level of dissatisfaction, I guess we'll call it, that a lot of people are having with, with a lot of the incumbents out there right now. But like, again, as you guys are coming to market, trying to sort of carve out your own position within it, what are some of those maybe shortcomings that you're seeing out there that, I guess, present opportunity for prime sports? Yeah. I mean, for me, I think it's uh, just the breadth of players that they're leaving without a home. We've already in the first few weeks, just going through the regulations and the tools that are being used and that we've already sort of picked up a lot more niche markets, niche players that we plan to go after that hadn't even crossed the plate with all the players that we thought were going to after in the beginning. For me, this is all kind of comical because I've lived this 15, 20 years ago of getting limited and through everywhere in UK to everywhere in Australia to all the, the other offshore books and things like that. They say everything's cyclical. And again, this is just another market opening up and it's going through, through the same process that so many other markets go through. And they're all generally playing the same game. I mean, now it's just becoming the same corporations that own different brands and they're just all playing the same game. I mean, the idea is to you know, while they're all going left, we're sort of going to go right and try and pick up some scraps. As Joe mentioned, we, the goal wasn't to go out and raise a ton of money and be like everybody else. It was to bootstrap it and, again, be more personable and communicate with the customers. And we're not going to be able to service everyone. That's not our goal. There's going to be those players that want, you know, initially same game parlays or different types of bet types that Again, carnival type games, which we'll get to. We're not going to leave, you know, any stone unturned as we go forward, but it's more of just, again, seeing what everyone else is doing. I think we opened at the perfect time as Foxbet rolled down, as can't think of the other one offhand that rolled down as well, like literally a win bet, literally win the bet, week yeah. before or two weeks before. Barstool make their change of the branding and things like that. I was having conversations foals and twin spies and those kind of things of sort of explaining potentially how they could do it without 
torching so much money. But again, everyone just thought there was only one way to do this. And again, we, we see the circuit in Nevada. They've gone to multiple states. They're not really getting the traction in some of those other states. So there is like, if you build it, will they come? But again, ultimately it's doing what I've done for, again, almost 30 years, doing what Joel has kind of seen and watched in the sidelines and then obviously being involved and that's the con contrarian way of how I've always done things is kind of what I'm trying to do here. And again, I've always put a line in the sand of August, 2026, once that world cup's done, sticking the head up and going, okay, was this a complete failure or is it everything we thought it was going to be until then we're guessing it's going to take time. Yeah. Following on that, there's so much group think out there right now. And that's not only in the industry, when you look at wall street, the investors, media, things like that, when you look at how product has evolved here right now, because there's this desperate push by DraftKings is a great example. Everybody bought into DraftKings. They haven't seen the crossing that threshold into profitability. And then FanDuel really starts to crush it at SGPs, higher margin products. Now, everybody out there is pushing SGPs and curated parlays. You go to their sites, I mean, like they, they're just, it, it's like being in Powerball sports betting land. And I find that amazing that everybody's just gravitated towards this and they've pushed this, but it's the thing that it's the erogenous zone that they tickled that suddenly Wall Street got really happy about it. Ooh, you can make this a margin play. You can get to profitability by pushing this. And then it be, suddenly becomes like received wisdom. So when guys like me and Adam go out there and they're like, well, what's your SGP product? I'm like, well, we're not going to have that at the beginning. <laughs> what? Like, oh, what about your props menu? I'm like, we're going to have props, but it's not going to be the 3,000 props that you see on at those two places, McDonald's and Burger King of betting up there. And I'm like, oh God, how can you do that? Like, well, it just shows you guys don't really know much about sports betting because where's all the money going in sports betting globally? It's in sides, it's in totals, and it's in the in-game betting on and people adjusting those sides and totals, like the props, the SGPs. And the, it, it's like, that's part of the industry, but it, th this is the only place that you go where it's being pushed so hard. And I just think they're going to gas out the customers, whereas Adam's really good about talking about like the customer this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's, you know, have taking a little bit here, lower margins, two, 3%, whatever it may be, volume over time, the give and take with the customer, getting the customer, servicing the customer, making them happy. And the fact that we don't have to go out and answer to a public market that says, no, you got to do this right now. The fact that Adam's sitting here talking about, oh yeah, I'm going to push my head up above the meerkat hole after the World Cup in 2026, an event that most people in America don't give a shit about because it's not our national game. And he's using that, like, I'm going to look a couple of years in the, and if we're doing it by then, we're in the right place. That would never happen at FanDuel, DraftKings, or any of their imitators. So the fact that we're going a different direction taking a contrarian view that is ridiculous that it's a contrarian view because it's as traditional and old school as it can get. But it kind of tells you what the, the state of this marketplace is. All these smart people rushing into the market, but they just don't seem to have done their homework or be very smart.
And I guess with, you know, the value prop of prime sports and being able to actually get a bet down, which in and of itself, as you say, Joe, I mean, is surprising that's even a value prop, but yet here we are. That value prop will instantly resonate with a certain cohort of, of customers in the marketplace. I'm sure some of those have already found you in Ohio. But as far as I guess, like getting the word out a bit more widely and ultimately attracting other segments of customers to that value proposition. I mean, how are you planning on getting the word out? I, I get the sense big flashy bonuses are, are probably not in the marketing mix for Prime Sports. So absent that, what's the strategy right now to kind of get the word out and just sort of slowly introduce this notion of the, of the Prime Sports value proposition to the wider market? It's going direct. I mean, there's a lot of folks out there who, again, they haven't found a place in this market. And we know why, because we've talked to them. And it's having a strategy from a product and offering a service to be able to offer that and how that's more magnetic. It's not pushing so much as pulling. There's a gravitational pull when you have a bookmaker that says, yeah, we'll offer decent limits, high limits on these betting markets. But once you get here, we're not going to limit you if you string together some wins. Uh, here's another thing. We'll pay out as fast as we possibly can. You never really hear that. I, I hear, we hear horror stories about people once they put up a win or two at some of these sports books. They can't even get the money out. Like That's unheard of. I can't imagine that. So it's just sticking to simple, deliverable propositions. And there's no gimmickry to it. People, there's lots of people out there who want to bet. And they want to put a decent bet. They want to be able to get down. They want to know that they can get down. And once they do that, they also want to know that as soon as I win, I want to be able to cash out. I don't want any hassles. And what I would say to somebody who doesn't think that's a significant enough draw for acquisitions, I would say they don't know sports betting very well if they think that the answer is throwing a bunch of Disney dollars at people that has the side benefit of juicing their handle numbers, right? And all sorts of other gimmicks on top of that. If they think that's the key to having a, a sustainable growth business in sports betting, all I can say is they've ignored history and reality. Yeah. And I guess to Adam's point about uh, World Cup 2026, obviously a few years between now and then, and a few years in market for prime sports. And I'm curious just about, I guess, the, the scale of the ambition for the product and the brand. I mean, you're two weeks live in Ohio. You publicly stated, I think there's one or two states on the, sort of the near-term roadmap. But I guess it's like, ultimately, what's the scale of the ambition with the project? And I guess if we also zoom out and look at just the market share dynamics as they exist right now, I mean, what is it? Something like 85% of the market share is concentrated amongst, I think, four operators right now. So I guess, again, as you guys look ahead and, and think about what success looks like. like can, I just, can I just interrupt you for a second there? 85% of the regulated market as it exists right now is concentrated amongst those guys. Adam, how many dollars do you think, for every dollar that's bet in the regulated market, how many dollars do you think are still in the offshore and street markets in America? Yeah, well, I've been going around saying it was fifty to one. It might be closer to two. The idea is by that 2026 is I'd like to have 10 to 12 states. I don't know what Joe's ambitions are on that front. And for us, when I'm asked about market share, we get 5%. So if we're taking, trying to go into that 15% untapped by those top four that's regulated, then we're winning. And we're not even looking at that 100% regulated market 
because again, we believe there's one and a half times to two times that's not captured that. Now, you know, they come in with all the stories of, well, there'll be certain people that don't want to bet through regulated operators and, and yeah, but there's some that'll, they'll split it half and half. They'll keep half where they're already at and then they'll play safe nearby and things like that. There's just so many different variations of who those people are, why they're doing what they're doing currently. And things are just going to keep evolving. We've already got multiple states that are allowing crypto through a exchange to then get put into fiat. These are spaces that we've been dealing with for it's probably 10 years now since I've known about crypto or used crypto to place bets and things like that. So it's just taking all the things that remove even that 100% of regulated market and let us go after the other things. And then we'll go and eat their lunch too. We'll chip away at their stuff and, and go after that as well. But I think some of that will just naturally fall over to where we're at. What our handle numbers will be and our hold numbers and all that. No idea. We couldn't even ballpark it and the cash flows and all those things that we put together are high in the sky kind of ideas of whatnot. And then ultimately it's what states we get into. There'll be some nice little niche small states that I think would be interesting players that are homeless or, or looking for something else. And then that's obviously got borders attached to that where then you try and draw some across. For me, Kentucky was one, I want to hang out in Kentucky. I want to go to the horse farms and go to the Kentucky Derby and, and whatnot. But I also see the, all the borders that surround it and then being able to capture those coming across. I mean, my wall has a map of all these things, you know, it took me 10 years to do everything that I wanted to do and to even get to the level of then starting to think, okay, now what else kind of thing. So it's a day by day, week by week, state by state. We've got one. The whole thing about this was getting up. We're open. Now it's kind of second state, next customer, million dollars in volume, $10 million in volume, $100 million in volume, hold 2%, hold 3% maybe get to 4% and just continue that along. And then for me, I mean, the geography lessons that I'm getting while doing this process on the US is now now going into the States and getting deeper into where do the guys from India and Pakistan live so I can push them cricket? Where do, you know, things like this. So Major League Rugby started up in the US. All these other small things. And then knowing... Sure, we'll do some promos. We'll throw out some stuff that's a little bit different. First weekend, we did best odds on the planet for the Browns and the Bengals. When we get into New Jersey, we'll do some stuff from like that. We'll get into Kentucky. And then it's really for what the regulators allow us to do. Ohio has a very tight sports catalog, which I'm actually enjoying as our first state. Because again, we don't have to roll out that ITF crap. We don't have to roll out some of this other stuff that you're just going to get gouged. So it's sort of a building a nice tight package, which then we can expand on in New Jersey. And again, no idea what Kentucky's bringing with it. And just again, building it slowly, taking our time. It's an ultra marathon, not even just a marathon. And again, it's just step by step. Brick by brick, step by step. Love it. Um, as you look around you in a post-PASPA world, like what's one of the more surprising things that maybe you didn't expect five years ago when regulated betting was about to roll out? Is there anything within the market, within the industry that you sort of deem it being the most surprising thing that you didn't have on your bingo card at the start of all of this? 
I'll say it was the total surrender of the existing casino companies in Las Vegas to the European betting companies and doing things their way and being allowed. I understand why they were doing it. They were looking for a licensable technology that they could deploy in a matter of weeks or months so that they could get live. That was the easiest way for them to go. But it's one thing to get like the, okay, well, we use the UK betting app. It's another thing where you had a, you know, a 20, 30, 50 year history taking bets in Nevada and you just completely surrender that and you're allowing guys in London and Stockholm and other places to book your games and the, the complete lack of feel that they had for the existing US money. It wasn't like sports betting didn't exist here five years ago. It, it existed in spades. That's why it, we were so successful in getting lawmakers to pass those laws. They could, they, especially in New Jersey, they're like, good God, we've got mailmen who bet more than $5,000 on an NFL game. And then the, the irony that, the, you know, in a, in a rush to get live that these companies, Caesars, MGM, all of them just surrendered to like the folks from over, over in the UK and like, we got to nickel and dime people to death, factor them out, all this stuff. I, I was really surprised. How about you, Adam? Any big surprises for you on your end? Just, I guess, how quickly they started limiting and again, bringing that European model in kind of like what Joe said, I thought Nevada or a few of those would have stood up and tried to expand out what they have. Nevada wasn't without limiting and taking small limits on certain things, but that's just should be normal. So that's sort of surprised that that was the European model rolled in so fast. And then on the other side of it's been the, the technology of having to Americanize their technology. Uh, has been quite amusing to me of the challenges and, and whatnot. Again, everyone was racing to market. They had to just take things off the shelf uh, without really thinking of it. The bonuses, quite unexpected. The regulators allowing the companies to put those bonuses against their taxes was a huge mistake, probably the biggest blunder of the entire industry up until this point. But they sort of answered, well, we had to build an industry. The industry's been there for 40 years didn't have to build anything. People were just ready to bring their action onshore or capture these new players that have just been bombarded by advertising. So I guess there's a few things there that surprise, but again, it's just the stuff that I've dealt with for 20, 30 years. I'll get the lad brokes, the Paddy Powers, just rolling in as quickly as they did and sort of doing it the way they did it. And again, everybody just falling down saying, all right, let's do it this way. I thought there would have been more backbone from the Americans than what there has been. Yeah, interesting. And Joe, you mentioned this a couple of times in this conversation today, but you know, just the entry into the industry from a lot of people that sort of have dollar signs in their eyes and see opportunity here that maybe don't understand some of the intricacies of operating in this business. And obviously for both of you, having done it for the vast majority of your professional careers, you know, I must think that you see parts of this as being a bit amusing, but I am, I'd be remiss, I guess, if I didn't ask you, because this is called the Betting Startups Podcast. We do have a lot of other <laughs> founders and entrepreneurs that do listen to it. So I guess, you know, in terms of just <laughs> dispensing a bit of advice or experience sharing and don't hold back here, but what, what advice would you give to the uh, air quotes youngins that uh, see this space as a compelling one to launch their ideas into? And, you know, there, again, there's no shortage of them right now. What would you say to some of those folks that are looking to have their big score uh, within the regulated betting industry? Yeah. So for the many people who graduated from Harvard who are now getting into the industry, this one should be easy for you. And it is 
do your homework. Okay. For the last five years, uh, whether it's watching companies that went live, trying to get funded pitches that came across my desk were the number of them that are so fundamentally flawed because of either not understanding the law, what's permitted in the marketplace, the, you know, the, some of the assumptions that they make about the U S marketplace or the U S customer. I get it. Legalization should be a big boon to us in that it now, I think it's a little more respectable for junior to pass up his career on wall street, working for Goldman Sachs after getting his degree from Princeton to come and work for Planetech as a trader or prime sports or something like that. It's certainly easier, but a lot of these people who they come in and they're like, oh, well, we're going to establish the line and we're going to do away with this. And, like, and you listen to them, you're like, yeah, well, what are you basing that on? Have you actually ever taken a bet? Have you ever put a dollar at risk? I mean, the infatuation, I know I'm going to get in trouble for this one. This infatuation, for instance, with the betting exchange model, it just says to people, well, I want to get into sports betting, but I don't want to take risks. Well, sports betting is about risk. It's like saying, I want to get into boxing, but I don't like to get hit. If you're going to be a boxer, you damn well better like getting hit. And if you want to be successful in the sports betting industry, you better like getting hit. I mean, look at Adam. First of all, it, it's amazing how much he looks like Maximus, isn't it? From Gladiator, the beard and everything like that. But Adam can sit there and he can tell you about some of the beatings that he's taken, both as a bookmaker and as a better and everything like that. And this is iron shapes iron. Now, if you're a smart kid graduating from an Ivy League school or wherever, I mean, I'm a big fan of state schools. I love them. But if you're going to be a smart kid entering this, it's like you better be able to test your assumptions about this business that you're going to start very quickly. And it's not by doing regret. I, mean, I have one kid from, happened to be my alma mater, who said like, well, we tested our model. We did regression testing of our model against the Beck Chris opening line and ours was better in 85% of the cases, like, well, that's amazing. You were able to do regression analysis of knowing the results already against something that is a true price discovery model that leads the global marketplace out there. Wow. That's the other, I, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, do your homework, get a better understanding of this industry before you come in and say, this is how I'm going to change everything. The other thing is stop with this infatuation that, and a lot of this is driven by American VC culture, investment culture, the, the way we've become enamored with technology CEOs and personalities. And that's like, oh, I'm going to step in and I'm going to revolutionize something from top to bottom. And VCs love that narrative. They're like, I'm going to do something, I'm going to build a moat. And like, but there's a lot of money in this industry by being able to service people's needs. Okay. And so many of these pitches that I see, it almost ignores the customer. Like, really? Like, who was your real customer here? Was it a better, the people who actually are going to be putting the revenue into your company and putting the roof over your house and maybe eventually paying for your kids to go to college? Or is it to satisfy the VC that you're going to see your pitch book or, or investors that might, you might see someday when you're going to go IPO or something like that. There has to be much more attention paid to the people who are really the most important in this industry, and it's the customers. And 
What are customers telling you? I, I would say 99 out of 100 of the pitch books I've seen from new companies starting up, I have not seen a single thing that's told me we talked to betters and this is what they told us they wanted. And that's criminal. Absolutely. We're coming up on uh, the closing minutes here, guys. I got one more, though, I want to quickly touch upon, which is the crossover episode that this is with Prime Suspects, which is the podcast that Prime Sports is launching, which will feature both of you gentlemen on the podcast. And I'm curious if you can just quickly give folks listening a sense of what they can expect from this and a little bit about why you're doing it and just sort of what the plan is with Prime Suspects. Well, for me, again, it's it's more about the customer and who's listening and then trying to push that out a bit more, giving some insights, answering questions that regular operators aren't willing to answer or can't answer. You know, I had a lot of ideas of things to do over the first few weeks of launching. Time's just gotten away. But I think over, again, time as we expand, we get a bit more volume, get a few more customers, showing what happens behind the curtain is ultimately what it's about for me started to try and do that through the Twitter stuff that I do and, and whatnot. But for me, that's all it is. It's purely about the customer, giving them access to a sports board, hearing back from them as much as anything. And then again, just building that reputation and that community aspect of it. Of Again, you just want to have a bet. You want as minimal friction as possible. Here's a place to play at. You know, and the other aspect of it is Everyone has generally three to four to five apps. I'm not looking to be your number one app. Just have me in two or three spot. Do your shopping like you would shop for the your new Toyota or something down the road and one guy has it cheaper up the road. That's all this is. This is a numbers game. If you're going to be a high volume better, saving pennies in certain spots, getting two or three more rolls on your parlay, your entertainment dollar value or your arbing opportunities or whatever that is, just gives you a, a longer lifetime value. So again, for me, that's all it is, is just visibility on what we're doing and sharing insights and educating. Because one thing I've learned about the American market, and I've kind of completely flipped on this one of my thinking is they want the answer. None of them are really doing any work. They're not looking for the full 30 minute preview show or the two page document of the intricacies of the lineups and the matchups and whatever it is. They just want to look at the bottom and see Kansas City minus nine, five units. That's not what we're going to do. Complete opposite. It's more of giving people that are interested in education in how to gamble, how to bet, how to make it more interesting, how to build on your knowledge to have conversations with other people that are betting. Rather than just saying, I bet this team because Joe Blow had it on his tout side and stuff like that. I, I think it makes the whole experience a lot more enjoyable. And it's for me, especially, it's been always reading a preview or listening to a preview of anything, horse racing, golf, tennis, NFL, looking at that pick at the bottom and going, well, that doesn't match what you just said. And then sort of <laughs> taking that information and whether it's finding a side prop or something out of that information and finding my own winners and picking my own stuff. And, and that's to me, ultimately what sports betting is about is using all the information in the world to make your own opinion, your own decision, bet on that and then get money back for it. Ultimately that to me, that's what it's about. And that's 
hopefully what uh, this podcast and the continuing communication out there uh, brings. Yeah, the only thing I'd add to that is something that I said earlier, and that is the intimacy of it. Like we, we People are not going to get to know us because we have a nine-figure ad campaign getting ready to go out there and push the prime sports brand. The other thing is I think when it comes to people who are in the sports betting business, there's a difference between a bookmaker like we are, like Adam has been for so long people who just, they love it. They love what they do. We love this business. We love the people who are in it on both sides of the counter. I'd love to spend all day talking to the people who bet with us, but I, we can't, but it's a lot of stuff that we have to do, but we want opportunities to be able to speak with them, talk with them. And the difference between people who are in that business and the authenticity or the intimacy that they have and then the people who are these larger brands, the way that they go about this business, it's really impersonal. It's really, I would give anything to hear a, a betting podcast with, with Jason Robbins and Amy Howe talking just about betting. I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear that for about five minutes and see if they could talk about betting in a way that it didn't sound like they were reading bullet points that their uh, PR and comms department put together for them. I don't think those people are bookmakers. I, I look at Adam. I want, it, here's the funny thing. I want to measure up to Adam and his reputation and his experience and everything like that. And that's going to drive me in this business, right? And I think Adam has a standard that he's trying to, to live up to. You know, we know that we know like Roxy Roxborough and people like that. And we want to run a business, a betting business, the way that guys like that could be proud of, right? And just the way we talk about it, we hope that the people who may listen to prime suspects on a regular basis, maybe on top of either the podcast or the Twitter video with these touts that they're going to see for their picks for the day or something like that, that they might be willing to add our little sports betting, keeping up with the Kardashians inside view of starting and building a sports book in America, that, that might be enjoyable for them for 20 minutes to a half hour a week. Takes us to the finish line here, guys. I have a standard closing question I asked to all my guests. I don't know if you know, so I'll quickly wrap it off to you looking for quick answers here. And it's this, and this might be a stretch of the imagination for you guys, but humor me anyway. If you weren't working in sports betting, if you weren't doing anything you've done in your career up to this point in a parallel universe, what would you be doing instead with your time? I would really want to hear Adam's answer. <laughs> I have no idea. None at all. I took a break about 13 years ago and got into shipping logistics. So maybe that's where I would have ended up. <laughs> oh my goodness. I never, th this guy's an onion. I mean, he was a private investigator. I mean, I keep finding stuff out about him every day. It's unbelievable. I guess at one point I thought I was going to be a college professor. I, I was a coach, but I, since I already done that, I guess that doesn't qualify. So probably a, a college professor or a teacher of some sorts. Awesome. For anybody listening that wants to check out Prime Sports and or get in touch with yourselves, can you quickly plug where they can go do all of that? Yeah, go to primesports.com. <laughs> There's a layup. <laughs> awesome. Well, look, and, guys. And hey, wait a second, real quick, because we because remember, Prime Sports is powered by Planetech, the best sharp book, sport, sport, sharp book platform on the planet, run by our man, Adam Bjorn, which you can find at Planetech, P-L-A-N-N-A, 
T-E-C-H.com. I'll drop links in the show notes to those for anybody that needs it. But for now, guys, I uh, really appreciate the time today, the conversation, and appreciate the unique uh, approach you're bringing to the market. And really looking forward to continuing to follow the story and watch it all play out. All right, great. Thanks for having us.